Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Today, we are certainly going to talk about breastfeeding, but we're also going a little bit beyond as we talk about pregnancy and the relationship of breast cancer to breastfeeding and uh, pregnancy. And we have a very special day today because I have with me internationally renowned researcher on this, Dr. Olivia Pagani. Dr. Pagani, welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome. I'm I'm happy to be here with you today. I know that you have so much information to share with us. Could you tell us just a little bit about yourself, please? Yes, uh, I'm a medical oncologist, uh, breast dedicated, uh, um, located in southern Switzerland, uh, and since 15, maybe 20 years, I treat um, um, breast cancer patients, uh, and in particular, my focus of interest, my field of interest is these young women, and dealing with young women with breast cancer, I... Uh, developed my interest in pregnancy after breast cancer, and um, and so um, we are uh, currently running a trial for uh, interrupting endocrine therapy to allow pregnancy women with a pregnancy desire, uh, which is the positive trial, and so that's why I'm particularly. Um, no, um, expert to say um, in in this field, uh, despite not being a gynecologist or an obstetrician. Well, indeed, you are an expert. And for those of you who might not know, Dr. Pagani has several peer-reviewed articles that are available. I have several of them on my desk. I will not say that I've read all of them, but I have made some attempt to read at least some of them. And I have been astonished at the amount of information that Dr. Pagani has to share with us. Because honestly, I guess I've just been a nurse long enough to know that years ago, we just always presumed that if a woman had uh, cancer, that she was not going to be able to get pregnant or breastfeed. And, of course, there's all of the the therapies and medications that go along with it. And uh, I think that you will find that this will be a very uplifting uh, hour for us to talk with Dr. Pagani because she has so much good news for the young women that she is studying, as well as for the rest of us who are trying to help those young women. And I would venture to say, and I do believe that there's research to show this, that there are more and more women who are putting off their pregnancy until uh, age 30 or even after age 40 or more. And so certainly that seems like that leaves them in a space 
where we worry more about them. Nonetheless, there certainly are the young women who uh, have breast cancer as well. Dr. Pagani, uh, as we talk a little bit about statistics, my question to you is this. Is pregnancy after breast cancer common? Um, it's not at all. Uh, there are data that show that in young women after cancer, breast cancer patients are the ones who are uh, less, less get pregnant uh, as compared to other, uh, other cancers. And this is uh, one of the reasons is what you mentioned before is that there is still a misconception about uh, uh, pregnancy after breast cancer because being breast cancer um, mostly driven by estrogen and most of the patients having estrogen related breast cancer the common belief is that a pregnancy increases in the body of the of the patient of the woman the levels of estrogen and this can be a dangerous uh, uh, for them to um, to make a relapse of their disease. And so this is a misconception, and it's not, uh, unfortunately, is not is very um, is again um, is still very common uh, in breast uh, cancer um, gynecologists and in oncologists. Unfortunately, especially in those who are not um, dedicated to breast cancer care. So there is still a lot of uh, um, false, false uh, um, communication with patients. And so many of them are still induced not to become pregnant after breast cancer. But all the data um, accumulating in the last uh, years and decades do not confirm that there is an increased risk of relapse uh, in patients uh, who become pregnant after breast cancer. So this is fake news. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes. And can you tell us then, uh, and I realize that you are a researcher, probably not a clinician, but you have been in this uh, space long enough that perhaps you can enlighten us what do young patients with breast cancer think about and fear about the subsequent pregnancy? Are they fearful that they will have to stop their medication? Are they fearful for their lives? Talk to us a little bit about their fears, if you could, please. Uh, yes. Well, I am a clinician, indeed. Oh, I, okay. I, I see patients every day. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's so, what makes you a clinician, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. And, um, well, um, it depends. Once again, you have two different, uh, uh, different populations of patients. Um, those uh, for whom pregnancy desire is so important that they decide not to start any medication uh, to prevent breast cancer recurrence because they want to get pregnant. And yes, usually yes. these are women uh, who are maybe in their late 30s, have no children, and this is very common worldwide because now the age of first uh, birth uh, 
is getting older and older. So many, many women um, who, be, uh, who develop breast cancer um, do not have children yet because they had no opportunity. They were, you know, uh, concentrated on their career. They didn't think of having breast cancer because this is not very common. And so when they are diagnosed, they didn't even think uh, of having a child. And then they are uh, of a sudden um, confronted uh, with a potentially mortal disease uh, and uh, uh, the fear not to have uh, children, not to be able to have children. And so some of them, uh, and they are there, they decide not to start any medication because pregnancy is their priority. And then the others are those who, maybe after two to three years, they ask if they can stop early because, of course, they realize they are getting too old uh, to um, finish the five or ten years uh, uh, treatment and they will be too old, maybe 45 or something like that, to have any chance to get pregnant. So it depends on the age of the diagnosis. So in very, very young women, those who are 25 or so, uh, this is a less of an issue because they know that they will have time to do it after the end of, ther of therapy. But the ones who are maybe 35, 38, they uh, maybe have chemotherapy, they need chemotherapy, uh, which um, decreases the chance of getting pregnant uh, because chemotherapy decreased the ovary reserve. Uh, so these women are the ones who are more concerned about their fertility. And so, yeah. Dr. Pagani, as I understand it, then you are saying that this is a commitment to do five or ten years worth of medication. And so even if they start it, they may want to, I use this word loosely, interrupt their medication treatment. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So, yes, so I, I think and it's also, but it's also um, a cultural is issue. Okay. Uh, because uh, for many cultures, uh, uh, having had one children or two is not enough. Yes. Because they're used to have many more children. And so even if they have one or two children before their diagnosis, for them, this is not, uh, you know, um, fertility is not completed. And so their, their family planning is not uh, completed. So, you know, women are so different and situations are so different so that's why that's why we designed the positive trial which allows for an interruption so that they can stop for two years try to get pregnant and then they resume whatever duration they need to complete and so this is a very empirical trial which allows uh, uh, women who fear not to be able to get pregnant after they finish their treatment uh, to have this opportunity in a trial, which means uh, a controlled situation where they are followed, where we also collect uh, 
data on uh, research on the tumors, on the um, fertility uh, techniques they may require, on the um, birth outcomes. And so a lot of information which we hope will allow in the future to tell our patients breast can uh, pregnancy after breast cancer, we are sure it is safe because now the data are, to, um, they are the data are retrospective, which yes. means yeah. we look back at our patients with breast cancer who became pregnant afterwards and compared them, you know, in copper in in uh, in a scientific way within um, groups uh, and uh, we looked at them and compared with women who did not get pregnant after breast cancer. And what we see is that there is no, um, no additional risk of relapse. But this is retrospective with a lot of bias and a lot of possible... Um, in a lot of uh, um, possible um, uh, confusing data. So that's why we need a trial, a prospective trial, a modern trial, which will answer this question forever. So that uh, women can, can feel sure and, and safe. Dr. Pagani, what percentage of women actually do get pregnant while they are on their tamoxifen or whatever medication they're on? Well, this is very difficult. There are no statistics on that. Oh. Um, and uh, it is, you know, uh, um, getting pregnant during tamoxifen is discouraged because tamoxifen is teratogenic. So sure, this is sure, dangerous. Sure. sure. So all the medical oncologists and the surgeon and gynecologists, of Force discourage women to get pregnant under tamoxifen, uh, and if they become um, by accident pregnant during tamoxifen, this is a, considered a risk pregnancy. Of course, of course. Well, and that's what I really meant was by accident, because we know that those accidents do happen. And so, what happens? Do, does the physician uh, uh, discontinue the medication? Um, well, once again, the data here are very, very limited. Okay. And uh, so, in principle, if it is possible, it's advisable to uh, um, uh, to, um, to to terminate pregnancy. Uh, terminate because, pregnancy. Yes, uh -huh. yes. But sometimes, you know, women uh, do not realize they're pregnant. Uh, uh, yes, until it yes. may be too late for uh, right. for uh, abortion, <laughs> and so this has to be considered at risk uh, a risk pregnancy. Of course, not always uh, uh, the pregnancy has problems, but we know that it is dangerous for the for the fetus. Absolutely. Oh wow! All of this is very enlightening for those of you who are listening. Uh, I am here today with Dr. Olivia Pagani, and she is talking to us about breast cancer and subsequent pregnancy and uh, breastfeeding. Don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuso. I will be right back with Dr. Pagani after this short break.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Dr. Olivia Pagani, and we are talking about pregnancy and breastfeeding after a woman has been diagnosed and treated for uh, breast cancer. So, Dr. Pagani, you have certainly enlightened us about this situation as well as how the, the fear and the sorts of issues that these women have to deal with. But I am very curious. Uh, we talked actually on this show to a woman who is a cancer survivor, a breast cancer survivor. And interestingly enough, we did not realize this, but she was actually in your trial. 
And one of the things that she said was that nobody had talked to her uh, about her future fertility or safety or anything else. So I'm hoping that maybe she's the only one in that situation, but I'm guessing maybe not. So can you tell us, do healthcare professionals address fertility issues with women who are or were being treated for breast cancer? Uh, unfortunately, um, not enough. Um, I depends. Once again, uh, I think that depends on, unfortunately, on uh, where the patient is treated. Oh, um, okay. Because uh, um, this is quite obvious and it is common in uh, what we call in Europe... Uh, uh, breast cancer unit, where you have the fertility expert within the team, and so this is uh, uh, almost automatically done. But if you are not treated within a breast unit, uh, this is a little bit more difficult. All the guidelines, all the guidelines, uh, and I'm chairing the breast cancer uh, young women guidelines uh, together with Ampartridge and together with Shani, um, um, Shani Paluch. And all the guidelines uh, recommend, strongly recommend uh, to address fertility issues with all women in front of you after a breast cancer diagnosis. So this should be the routine. But unfortunately, this is not the case. I think that roughly uh, two-thirds from 60 to 70% of women, when you ask them, um, discuss fertility issues at the diagnosis. Um, But as I said before, we should not be granted. They did discuss. Yeah, okay. Uh Sometimes, you know... um, Doctors and people are strained because if you are in front, <laughs> have in front of you a woman who has two children, maybe you believe this is uh, for her, this is done. But as I said before, maybe her flat family planning included four children. So for her, the, 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 the situation and the discussion is not finished. So I think that the recommendation is that you, you need to discuss with every woman, the uh, family planning before starting any treatment. Even because if you need to uh, recommend and to implement fertility procedures, uh, that it, di- it needs to be done, uh, especially if chemotherapy is planned, it needs to be done quite quickly. So it's not something that you can say, wow, I forgot. I can discuss this in three months. Because timing is sometimes important. So that's why having a fertility expert in the team is very important because you are used to discuss and to interact with this uh, um, colleague every day. And then you have it, you know, uh, maybe next door. And so it's easy and quick to have a, a consultation. But unfortunately, this is not the case in many, many, many countries and in many, many, many places. 
Oh my. Uh, I'm, I, I can't say that I'm surprised because there are so many, so many discussions on this topic or other topics that simply don't happen. And in fact, they should happen. And as you pointed out, not only should they have that discussion, but they should have the up-to-date recommendations, certainly. Uh, So, Dr. Pagani, I have got several, I don't know, some 10 or 12 studies maybe on my desk, um, most of which you have been the author, but there are other authors as well. And I was just thinking that if I were a woman in that situation, that I was faced with that decision of realizing that I had to make a decision about my family as well as my treatment as well as my disease, I would in fact be very frightened. And one of the things that I'm sure I would be asking you would be, is pregnancy safe after breast cancer? Yeah, as I said, um, the data are retrospective. Yeah. Uh, so we compared uh, women who had breast cancer and became pregnant and women who had breast cancer and did not uh, become pregnant. And many cooperative groups did that. And we have also a um, so-called meta-analysis, so an analysis, oh, yes. of yes. comprehensive analysis of all the data and all the data separately and in the meta-analysis say that pregnancy after breast cancer is not associated with an increased risk of relapse. Not not associated with an incidence of relapse. No, it's not. uh, um, Pregnancy does not increase the risk of relapse for many reasons. Uh, For example, because the boost of estrogens during pregnancy, which is one of the reasons we were worried in the past, actually um, seems to be protective because high-dose estrogens uh, were used for the ones who are old enough to remember, uh, were used to treat breast cancer. So high-dose estrogens uh, can be curative. Uh, Also, there is the uh, relationship between the fetal uh, antigens through the placenta and uh, the uh, mother's blood, and um, there is some research suggesting that the antigens uh, which the mother and the fetus uh, uh, share through the placenta uh, boost also the mother's uh, immunity. Uh, And so there are lots of uh, um, this kind of uh, um, suggestions uh, which support the fact that we didn't uh, um, see so far an increased risk uh, in in cancer relapse after pregnancy. And this is also true in women who have estrogen-dependent breast cancer. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. So we have quite uh, um, uh, quite a long term. Uh, this is um, a study um, that uh, Dr. Atamazim did, uh, and uh, um, and this study has now uh, um, quite a long term follow up, more than seven years, and he compared uh, women with um, estrogen receptor positive breast cancer who became pregnant and 
control. So women uh, with um, uh, breast cancer who did not become pregnant. And uh, it seems once again that pregnancy is safe in the overall population of breast cancer patients, but also in the estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. So all the data are reassuring. But we need this prospective evidence, which is the uh, um, purpose of this trial. Absolutely. Uh, just a word here for those of you who may not be as familiar with research methods. Uh, she is saying that retrospective studies only look back. And so it is more difficult to get a clear understanding when you are only looking back whereas prospective studies uh, start today and they follow the person through the study. She also talked about meta-analyses, and this is um, a rather simplified explanation, but basically a meta-analysis is a study of studies. And so that is a rather strong indication that when you are studying the studies, uh, it generally involves sometimes tens of thousands of people uh, that you have data on. So, uh, Dr. Bagatti, you talked about the mother, but what about for the baby? How, how does that work? If the mother has been diagnosed with the breast cancer, she has been treated for the breast cancer, what about safety for the baby in a subsequent pregnancy? Yeah. Apart from the situation of, you know, mm, uh, becoming pregnant under tamoxifen, which we mentioned before. Right. Uh, all the data, once again, and these are mostly data from Scandinavian countries. They have a good registry. They have very good epidemiological data, population data. And um, um, what this data, once again, show all the data, all the ones who looked at this data, is that um, there is a slightly higher risk of abortion, and uh, what is uh, what is seen is that uh, the weight of the baby at birth uh, can be um, lower than the average. But apart okay. from that, the rate of uh, um, of uh, complications of malformations. Uh, and all these things is within the range of the general population. Mm, so, but once that. again, um, these are, you know, uh, uh, retrospective data. So we are collecting this data um, in, the, in the trial and the pregnancy during the trial will be followed much more closely than a normal pregnancy. So we will have much more data on that as well. Um, and so I think that, but once again, information we have so far is reassuring. Also in women who received chemo. So I think that there is no clear indication to, um, to frighten patients uh, uh, to this extent. I think that is hugely important. I must admit that even just reading about this, and I'm not of childbearing age, but I I could really feel myself just asking that question and being fearful in the back of my mind, even though I certainly know I'm never going to be faced with that. Uh, and uh, 
Dr. Pagani, could you tell us, I'm quite sure that I read this morning that one of your studies, it might have been the positive study, uh, how many subjects you had and also in how many countries. Could you just tell us a little bit about that? I was pretty impressed. Yeah. Well, um, the, the, the trial is going really very well. And uh, we are planning to uh, enroll 500 patients, and uh, we are almost there. We, um, we uh, anticipate that uh, the trial uh, will be closed by, I think, uh, um, probably next spring, but maybe even early. And uh, we are really very... Um, um, uh, happy about that uh, because this is really and this is something uh, which I personally um, really um, wanted to this is really an international trial because we have uh, uh, women from almost uh, uh, all over the world so we have women from US we have women from uh, uh, Europe, of course, but we have also um, Asian women, and this is important also because, um, uh, of course, uh, uh, this is a different uh, population. So we have patients in Japan, in South Korea, we have uh, women in uh, Israel. Uh, unfortunately, we were not able to have uh, um, centers from Arabic countries, uh, from um, um, bureaucracy and organizational uh, problems, uh, but so we have 29 countries overall. Oh, oh, so we have really a picture of different cultures, of different uh, attitudes, of different. Uh, what I mentioned before, um, we have to, you know, uh, the interruption is two years, and we calculated it quite. Uh, um, um, precisely, because, for example, in Israel, in two years, you can have two children. And for them, it's very important, because the traditional uh, Jewish uh, women, uh, as I mentioned before, for them, uh, having two children is not enough. Not enough, correct. Not oh, enough. Yes. So they want to be able, maybe, to have two children in two years. Yes. So we did also take took into account this kind of uh, needs from patients try to accommodate every situation possible. Oh, I, certainly this is very interesting as well as very uplifting. And congratulations to you and to all of your colleagues who are running this study. It is hugely important information. Hey, everyone, uh, I know you want to hear about breastfeeding, and I promise I absolutely will ask Dr. Pagani about breastfeeding on the other side of the break. So don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Dr. Olivia Pagani, and we will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. 
In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Dr. Pagani, and we are talking about uh, pregnancy and breastfeeding after uh, breast cancer. Dr. Pagani, I want to know, tell me, is breastfeeding after breast cancer, first of all, is it feasible? Is it practical? And secondly, is it safe? What do we know here? So once again, the data are really very, very scarce. So the the very few data comes from our group, the International Breast Cancer Study Group. 
Um, and we looked, of course, a small number of patients. Once again, we looked back. We looked back at our data and we uh, demonstrated in a very small number of patients that breastfeeding is absolutely um, feasible and uh, um, not uh, dangerous at all um, after breast cancer. The problem is uh, that uh, you need to have, once again, some counseling from uh, um, expert because uh, especially if you have uh, um, one uh, um, breast who has been operated and received radiotherapy, from that breast, uh, uh, of course, breastfeeding can be uh, difficult and not enough milk uh, can be, of course, uh, produced. But the data in the overall population uh, I'm not an expert, I'm not an, obst an obstetrician or something like that, but all the data showed that there are mothers without breast cancer who just breastfeed from one, from one reason oh. or another. Oh, absolutely. From one so this is possible. Of course, you need to have uh, an, uh, um, uh, someone who checks if the, uh, if the milk is enough, if you need maybe to integrate... Uh, um, with additional um, milk, uh -huh. which, yeah. uh, but in principle, um, if it is feasible, if it is enough, uh, and uh, if, of course, another problem uh, uh, of breastfeeding from an irradiated breast is that maybe can be uh, can be uh, painful for the mother. Um, but apart from these technical limitations. Uh, I think it's very important uh, because we know that breastfeeding is important for the mother, is important for the baby, and, uh, you know, makes, uh, you know, the relationship uh, um, to be built in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a good way. So I think there is no reason to discourage breastfeeding if feasible and if, of course, uh, the nutrition intake for the baby is enough. There's no reason to discourage breastfeeding in uh, after breast cancer. So let me understand that you are saying that even though the mother has had the medication, even if the mother has had radiation to that breast, the baby may suckle the breast. There is nothing wrong with the milk that comes out of it. Uh, yeah. it's, and here again, my understanding, and I am not as well read on this as I should be, but I have never read a study that says that there is enough milk. So I tend to agree with Dr. Pagani. I would have concerns about there being enough milk, but certainly the milk which is coming out is, as I believe Dr. Pagani has just said, there is nothing to be fearful about with that milk. It's just a matter of does the mother have discomfort and does the mother have enough milk? I would be very quick to say that feeding from one breast, which is uh, technically called unilateral breastfeeding, is actually more common than what we might think in the general populace, that women will uh, be breastfeeding on one breast uh, or nearly one breast. I have seen some women who... Uh, yes, the baby will take the other side, but he doesn't take it very well. They are getting the bulk of the milk from one breast. And so uh, I think the real question here is, 
is that is the uh, feeding on one breast offered as a possibility to the woman? And I think Dr. Pagani is saying sometimes that counseling happens and maybe sometimes it does not. Did I understand that? Yeah, it should be offered if feasible. Yeah. Of course, once again, you need to have in the team, you need to have someone to refer these patients uh, in order to check if this is feasible from a physical point of view, if it's enough, if the nutrition is enough. But apart from that, I think that every woman uh, who uh, got pregnant after breast cancer should be offered the same possibility of breastfeeding as any other woman. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, thank you for saying that so loud and clear. It's so important that we understand that and that we have someone who is as expert as you to say that literally to the world because we know that the uh, this show is airs in at least 65 different countries, uh, probably more. That's what we have data on. <coughs> Excuse me. So it's it's really important that we get that message. And so another question that I would have then about the breastfeeding is, it is my humble understanding that women are less likely to have cancer if they have breastfed more children and had more pregnancies. And I believe that that study was published by the World Health Organization in The Lancet, oh, some years ago, I'm thinking in the early 2000s. But what about after they have actually had uh, breast cancer? Do we know anything about if breastfeeding is protective? And I want the audience to understand that, that having a protection does not mean it is preventive. Those two words are not the same, okay? So does it offer any protection? I think we cannot say that because the numbers are really uh, too, too, too small. small. So oh. we can say it's not dangerous. It can be enough, as we said. But I think that this is one of the questions of the positive trial. Um, because we will have, uh, uh, as I said, 500 women, who is a huge number, despite it seems a small number. It's a huge number in, the, in this in setting. In this situation, so, yeah. yeah. So we will have, I hope so, uh, many women within the trial with, uh, who will uh, breastfeed, I don't know where, uh, yet how many children we will have, of course, because not all the women enrolled uh, will succeed in getting pregnant. We will see. Right? This is the, the, the highest number uh, of uh, women in this situation po ever possible. And so I think uh, that this will be the only opportunity to have uh, um, sound and uh, concrete and uh, significant data to answer this question. And I want just I want to say some politicals, you know. I think that um, uh, there is a lot of prejudice and misconception about this thing. Okay. So I need I think that in unfortunately many other situations in women's life uh, women need to take the lead. Mm. They need to ask. Yes. They need to push their doctors. Yes. Uh, and so that's why I'm really very happy 
uh, we are having this conversation because uh, this increases uh, and spread information. But then women need to ask. They need to raise their hands and say, well, doctor, I know I read that breast uh, pregnancy after breast cancer and breastfeeding, so on and so forth, so that they uh, provoke their doctors. If they are ignorant, and there is a lot of ignorance in this oh, field, yes. this is not for this is not a woman fault. So, but we need sometimes patients after breast cancer. They of course are scared. They do not dare to ask. They need to be, you know, they need to push. They need to be more courageous. And if needed, uh, I know I'm not politically correct, but I don't care. <laughs> if needed, they need to change their medical oncologist, their surgeon, yes. or whatever. Yes. <laughs> and so, yes, now I finished with my politically incorrect <laughs> sentence. Well, that needs to be said, Dr. Pagani. Because I will tell you that even as a very experienced nurse, I have occasionally had interactions with uh, physicians that uh, treat me as though I don't have a brain or as though I am somehow not entitled to that information or as though uh, I'm supposed to just take their word for it that they're right. And no, excuse me, this is my life. This is my body. I will ask these questions and I will either get up-to-date authoritative information from you or I will look elsewhere. And for those of you who are listening, trust me, uh, I think I've only fired one doctor, but <laughs> I would not hesitate to fire another one if I felt that I was uh, being treated unfairly or that he or she was condescending or not up-to-date or not aware of the fact that I'm the one who is actually in charge of my own health. You know, years ago, someone said to me, you are the CEO of your own body. And mm -hmm. uh, that is a really interesting concept. And sometimes women don't think that they are intimidated. And I would echo what Dr. Pagani said. I think it's just hugely important to speak up for yourself and to realize this may be your only opportunity to have your baby, live your life, whatever it is. Uh, so I think it's really important to, as she says, stand up for yourself. Another thing, speaking of politically correct and otherwise correct, I wanted to point out that, it, indeed, I do have several of these studies on my desk. Dr. Pagani has been involved in several studies that have been strictly academic. That is, they have not been financed by a drug company. And while we would like to believe that all researchers are ethical and all of the statistics that we read are accurate, the fact of the matter is there is always, how should I say, there is the possibility that conflict of interest can creep in when there is uh, a pharmaceutical or uh, I guess pharmaceutical financing or backing. Uh, Dr. Pagani, can you speak to that at least briefly and tell me if indeed all of your studies have been uh, funded without the help of pharmaceuticals? 
Well, not all, not all of them, because some okay. of, it's impossible to run okay. all trials. Uh, I think there is a possibility to avoid the conflict of interest also in non-academical trial, because if the trial is run by a um, scientific group, uh, this is uh, the data and all the procedures are in the hands of these cooperative groups. You have a lot in the uh, in US, we have a lot uh, in, uh, in Europe and in other countries. So this is the way to run uh, trials with drugs huh? yeah. um, yes. in, uh, in a clean way. Yes. Uh, yes. And so this is the, uh, uh, it's different if uh, the trial is in the hands of the uh, pharmaceutical company. So there you have no power to check and to be sure uh, that it is run in a, um, in a clean way. Not yeah. to say they do not run it in a clean way, but sometimes, of course, there is a potential conflict of interest. Of but for some trials, like the positive, of course, there are no drugs involved because it's pregnancy. So, of course, there is no interest by pharmaceutical companies so one of the issues was to, um, to um, raise funding and to raise money to run this trial. Because, of course, even if it's not a therapeutic drugs, a therapeutic trial, uh, it costs money to monitor all these trials, all these women, to do blood sampling, to analyze their tumors. So uh, it's really very expensive. But we, uh, we succeeded in raising enough money uh, to run the trial. And so this, I think we are really very proud of that as well. Indeed so. We only have a minute or so left here, Dr. Pagani, but could you tell us quickly, I know that you are in the uh, act of running the positive trial. Are you still looking for people to enter that trial? Because that was my understanding when you were talking. Yes? Yes. Yes. We have uh, um more or less 70, 80 patients to go. So there oh, is okay. time. So there is time for, you know, in, I, what I would suggest is that women interested all over the world, they need, I can give you contact. And um, so they can contact uh, the coordinator of the trial so that can uh, tell these women who uh, is running the trial in their country. In their country. And if they have the uh, the... Uh, characteristics to be enrolled because, of course, there are some eligibility criteria. Of course, of course. And so the the uh, the contact is Monica M O N I C A dot R U double G E R I at at I B C S G dot org. Very good. And that is Monica.Ruggeri at I-B-C-S-G. S-G. Very good. And by the way, I will be happy to put that on my social media. We have a fairly uh, robust face group, and I also write a blog, and I will be absolutely happy to help you to spread the word, uh, certainly for this show, but even beyond this show, because that really needs to get out there. Uh, for those of you who are listening, thank you so much uh, for listening today. This was an important show. Uh, thank you, Dr. Pagani, for being with us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. 
And for those of you who want more information on this or other topics as related to breastfeeding, please visit me at mariebiancuzzo.com. It's mariebiancuzzo.com, M-A-R-I-E-B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O.com. Uh, be sure that you read my blog and uh, stay tuned because there will be another show next week. <laughs> and in the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. 